I said, worship is a complex thing. A lot going on in there, in uh, just the topic. And um, so how we sort of work this through and figure this out through this series, uh, it's sort of a challenge because we understand worship here is here on Sunday morning. Worship is in the workplace. Worship is in our relationships, um, among other things. Um, so how do we learn better how to worship and what it means to worship? And you see they're calling this adventures in worship. How do we learn to engage more in the adventure? Well, what we do have that we can learn from, and we're going to be walking this through from the text, are a number of different postures of worship, a number of different ways in which... Um, do I need to go to handheld? Are we okay? All right, thank you. Um, let me know if I do. Um, postures are taught in Scripture where different characters from the text participate in worship of God in different postures. You heard both Brady and Mark sharing about those postures, bowing down, raising hands, dancing, walking, leaping, worshiping while leaning on a staff, a number of different things that we want to learn about and understand more what's going on in those spaces and places so that when we do consider more about how we worship and how we come to worship, then what we're thinking of is true to what God teaches us about worship in the text. Fundamentally, we want to be worshipers of God in the spirit and truth of his word. We're going to start this whole little adventure by working through Psalm 145. It's uh, right in the middle of your Bibles, if you want to turn there and open it up there. The words will be on the screen, but I always always encourage you to have your Bibles open. There's a specific um, part of the Psalms that I do, the Psalm that I do want you to notice this morning. And if you have your Bible open, you'll see it much more clearly. But as we spend time in God's Word, we want to ask for His blessing and movement in our hearts and our lives that we might learn more of His truth. Let's pray. We praise you, O God, for your truth in your word. We praise you that you have given us the ability and the opportunity to worship you with our lives, with everything. I pray, Father, that we may deepen our understanding of who you are, that we may deepen our understanding of of, um, the way that you have called us to realize potential in our lives of worship, to grow, to mature, to develop, to not put limitations on what you will and can do in us. Father, this is work that you do in our hearts because of the work of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's your work alone. We ask that you are faithful to that work today and that you do it in us, your people. We pray these things all in Christ. Amen. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. 
The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Anybody know Mumford and Sons? Mumford and Sons? Uh, Mumford and Sons is a a contemporary band. Uh, I think they would call themselves a rock folk band. Is that fair? I think so. Um, they're one of the only bands that have moved banjo and mandolin into popular music effectively. Um, and it's, it's, it's really good music. Um, I, uh, uh, I listen to them on Pandora, Pandora often, and, and you know, I'll be sitting in my office doing some stuff, and a Mumford song will come on. And if you've ever heard a Mumford song, you know something about it. There's sort of a pattern to Mumford songs. They have a shape to them. They start off uh, fairly quiet, fairly sort of calm. They get nice little chords, a little acoustic stuff in the background, or the lead singer will just sing, sing, sing a line or two. And then they start to build. And they build, and they build. And almost every single Mumford song, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but those of you who know Mumford know what I'm talking about. By one point in the song you wonder whether or not the guys who are playing their guitar have their fingers bloodied from playing so hard. Because they're absolutely going after it. And that's the reason why I like Mumford so much. Because when they sing a song, when they play their music, you can tell that they've bought in. They are into it to the point that you know they believe what they're singing. They, they, they're almost consumed by the moment of their song. And when you even see them live, my, my daughter was upset this summer because she had an obligation that stopped her from going to the Mumford concert, but she heard from all of her friends. They're just amazing. Why? Because when they play, they play. Now, this is a band, and I, I want... I want you to hear from me. I like their music. Their music is not nearly perfect. There is language and sometimes things in there that I'm not always comfortable with. But what I can tell you is that these are people who come from a background of faith. Their family comes from actually a vineyard background. I I heard this week from Nick. A vineyard background in, in, in Britain. And it almost, in some ways, when they're singing some of what they sing, 
you wonder if there's a component of worship. And one of the reasons why I, I hear that and it brings me a little bit of joy, but it also makes me a little sad is, why can't we do more of that? Why can't it be that when we sing a song that we're bought in, that we may not make our fingers bleed on the guitar strings, but we make our hearts cry out because of what we're saying and what we're singing and what we're living. We've all got room to grow. How many of you would say that you're a perfect worshiper? None of us, right? There's always potential. There's always room to grow. And the interesting thing was, thing is, is that's almost exactly what this song speaks to this morning. And as we enter into this series of learning and growing and how we understand worship, I want us to hear from God's word that God understands us to know that we need to grow and learn and expand our understanding of how to give Him praise, of how to worship Him, of how to glorify Him. And we see it even right here in the text. Now, we hear from the psalmist, we believe it's David. Um, It's always hard to actually prove those things, but we believe it is. And we hear from the psalmist of the glory, the grandeur, and the splendor of God. You hear the things that he says about God. God, these are the things that you are. These are the things that you do. These are the things that you do for your, your people. And you, it's sort of a, it's almost a little word play. You have the things that God does and that the people will do in worship, right? You have sort of this back and forth. And all the things that God does that the psalmist speaks of are just these amazing things. We can't understand understand him. His works are incredible. There's beauty, there's life, there's everything that creation could ever need because that's that's what God does and that's who God is. And yet we also see the human side and the things that people uh, that, that the psalmist is talking about will do to give worship to God, right? And David is the king of Israel, if he did in fact write this psalm. We know though that Israel had a problem with worship, don't we? I mean, they didn't didn't get it right. In fact, they got it wrong a lot. And some of the things that we know that they got wrong was, in fact, things like idolatry, right? Instead of worshiping God alone, they would go to the temple and worship God, but then they would go back home and have their little idols set up in a corner and pray to them. That instead of being a pure and holy and righteous people like God called them to be, they would, instead of just marrying people from their same culture and tribe and and nation, people that God called them to, to stay with and not marry outside of their tribe, they would marry outside their tribe, they would marry outside of uh, their nation, and then these other people would bring in their religious beliefs and systems, and it impacted their worship. So their worship got muddied. We know that Israel created these barriers for worship. And the barriers stopped them from from growing and from learning. In fact, those barriers stopped them so much from worshiping God that God ended up punishing them eventually with things like death and war and eventually exile. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth mattered to him, matters to God, still does. 
And we need to understand more about how we, from God's word, how we learn more about worship. Now, here's an interesting thing in this psalm. There's a verb contrast that teaches us much about how we understand who we are in relation to who God is. For every verb that is a human subject, so either the pronoun I or the people, those sorts of things, there's usually a word attached to that, a verb. What verb is usually attached to that in your text? Anyone? Will. It's an interesting word. Will is actually a verb of potential. It's a word that speaks to what could happen, what might happen, what will be in the future. It's not a verb that speaks to the present. And it's interesting because every single verb in the text that speaks of God speaks with what verb attached? Is. See the interesting thing? That God is all these things, and God's people will. So what the text is telling us is that God never changes. God is always these things. He is always unfathomable. He is always beautiful in his glory, in his splendor, in his grandeur. He is always good to his people. He always keeps his promises. That's who God is. We've got room to grow. We've got room yet where we can understand more about this stuff. And because we understand more about this stuff, it moves us in how we express our worship and praise of Him. We will. There is a room for potential there in us. Which means that if there is a room for potential, then we need to understand that that potentiality might in fact be unknown, a little scary, a little different, a little unique for us because we don't know what God's going to yet do in us, right? We're not really sure. If we will do something, I can say, I will be a parent to my children for as long as I live. But I don't know what that's all going to look like. I don't know all the things that my kids are going to do. i got to sort of figure that out as I go along. When we talk about worship, that potential has areas in which we're yet unknown. we got to learn and grow together. God is always worthy of all human worship, but humanity has to... Don't do that. Has to realize its potential. And the thing is, is that we put barriers to our potential. Don't we? There are barriers to our potential in worship. There are barriers that we have erected at times that hinder us from our full and complete potential to worship and praise God. Just as Israel erected the barriers of things like idolatry and intermarriage, that limited their potential, we have the same thing. They just look a little bit different. Our sin hinders us because of our guilt. How many of you have ever come to worship on Sunday morning thinking to yourself, Don't put up your hands, by the way. I am such a hypocrite because I know the things that I've done this week. 
And who in the world do I think I am to stand before the living God and give him praise? You know what I'm talking about? Sin can be a barrier because it limits us because of our guilt. Our busyness. Anybody know about busyness? All of us do. I don't know what's going on here. I'm just going to go with it. Am I okay? All right, good, golden. So says the hearing guy, I'm going with it. Awesome. Our busyness. We come in here with lists of stuff that we have to do today, tomorrow, and in the week ahead. And those things can stop you. How many of you have already had that today? You got things you're thinking about already. That are, you're like, wait, I got need to do this after church, and I got this tomorrow, and this is a problem, and I don't know how I'm going to pay for this, and I don't know how to do this, and I don't know whether or not my running back is going to start today because he might be on IR. Fantasy football starts today. That's a massive distraction. Let's all just be honest. All these things happen. And they hinder us because why? Our ability to come before God and worship Him in spirit and in truth is limited because there's other things taking space up in us. Other things that call to us. Almost like a siren song. Hey, come over here. Yeah, worshiping God. You can do that later. That can be, that can be some other time. Or, you know what? Give God half. He's okay with that. Give God a quarter and focus on these things. That's the way it works sometimes. Here's one that's really tough. Our tradition is a barrier. Know what I'm talking about? How many of you were raised in churches where if somebody raised a hand and sang a song like this with their hands raised, that there was talk after church? Bunch of us. How many of you were raised in churches where if you didn't raise your hands in church and sing songs that there was talk after church? Believe it or not, there's absolutely, there's churches like that. They're out there. If there was dancing in church, oh baby, it was on. You know something really interesting? The two most clearly delineated forms of worship in Scripture are what? Raising your hands and dancing. And yet, what did our traditions do oftentimes? It said, no way! Why? Because it freaks us out! I don't know what to do if somebody dances. Even if they're being obedient to a calling of God, man, dancing is for somewhere else, and that ain't church. And yet the Bible itself teaches that David danced before God. In Revelation, we have this movement around the throne of God, which is in some ways the ultimate act of worship at the throne room of eternity. Because of tradition, we limit our ability to engage in God's potential in our lives of worship. And I know right now, some of you are already uncomfortable because you're thinking, Pastor Scott's going to get people dancing in church. I'm going to have to go somewhere else. I get it. I hear you. We'll work it out. But we don't want to put that limitation on our potential 
to worship God. Because then things like this happen. Our community hinders our ability. Why? Because of its judgment. Somebody comes up and dances. What do a good chunk of people who sit in the pews then do? Absolutely. We judge. We think, well, that's quite a production. Or, what are they thinking? Or we think, that's not appropriate. Right? We do that. Now, don't get me wrong here. There are times and places for accountability in what God has called someone to, and that's where the leadership of the church, the pastors of the church, we have responsibility to say, okay, what's really going on here? Let's talk it through. Let's pray it through. Let's discern it through. We're going to, we want to be a community of faith. It's not just about one person putting on a production or one person having an agenda. It is about what God is calling the river to. However, within that, for us to be people who sit in judgment upon what God is doing in someone else's heart and mind, if what they are, in fact, is what they're doing is in line with what Scripture teaches, do you see that that might become a little bit of a problem? That might become something really quickly. In fact, it crosses that line like that of sin, judgmentalism. We are basically saying we know how the Spirit works, and it doesn't work like that. How dare us get into that spot? We're not qualified. Now, fear. Fear hinders us because of the unknown. And this applies to all of us, too. I'll I'll tell you, it applies to me. You know what I get fearful of? I get fearful if someone calls either me or one of you to speak in tongues in church. We know it's there, don't we? I mean, it's there in Scripture. How many of us would be freaked out? We've asked this before. How many of us would be freaked out if they were speaking in tongues in this church right now? Just all put your hands up. You all would be freaked out. Because we don't even know what that would look like, some of us, right? We don't understand it. But I need to accept the fact that that fear that I have can be a barrier. Because what if, in fact, God is calling me to that? Now, that would really freak me out. I don't think I have that specific spiritual gift. But if my fear becomes such a barrier to something like that, that when God calls me to it, that I'm not willing to engage in it, that's a problem. There's not an ability on my part to say, God, what are you capable of doing in me and in your people? I'm limiting the Spirit's potential. And part of our discovery through this series as a church is saying, what rules, what things have we sort of, without even really thinking it through or working it through, what things have we put down, gauntlets that we've laid, lines that we've drawn, that say, this is how we do it. And not outside of that. It's interesting because uh, I'm reading a book, actually a couple books by Mike Iaconelli in a couple different circles. And I want to share with you a teaching from a book that we're going through, a staff called Dangerous Wonder. Mike Iaconelli, if you've never read any of his books, I'm going to highly recommend. I don't always recommend books. These two I would. Mike Iaconelli's Dangerous Wonder and Messy Spirituality, both. Incredible books, thought-provoking books. Um, 
holy books in some really, really challenging, unholy ways, if that makes any sense. There, there's a beauty here that I'm grateful for. I want to read this to you about unruly behavior. Little children start their lives unruly, without rules, oblivious to society's prescribed laws, which, according to the rule makers of our society, exist for children's and everyone's good. Eventually, children are socialized, domesticated. They learn how to behave, how to conform to the cultural norms for the greater good of society. Children are told that learning the rules, becoming responsible and orderly, and discovering the boundaries of a civilized world are what growing up is all about. But is it? In the process of socializing our children to follow the rules, Do we rob them of the discernment needed to know when to follow rules and when to break them? Have we robbed our children, including those of us who have grown out of childhood, of the childlike intuition that causes us to know in our hearts how to recognize the rule maker? Christianity is this wild religion that has always been more concerned about following Jesus than following the rules of Jesus. Remember when you said yes to Jesus that first time? You didn't know all the rules, but you knew Jesus. Sadly, the church immediately stepped in and told us we needed to know more than Jesus. We needed to know the rules of the Christian faith. Otherwise, we might end up in confusion and spiritual anarchy. The church is always worried we might make a mistake. Mistakes are the guaranteed consequence of wild abandon. Mistakes are signs of growth. That is why the Old and New Testament are full of people who made mistakes. The church should be the one place in our culture where mistakes are not only expected, but welcomed. Every time the disciples started establishing rules, no children near Jesus, Don't let the crowds touch Jesus. Don't talk to Samaritan women. Don't let people waste expensive perfumes. Jesus told them to knock it off. And his rebuke was usually followed by a lecture that said, you still don't get it. We are not substituting religious rules with our rules. We are substituting religious rules with me. Jesus kept saying, follow me, not follow my rules, so most of us have spent our Christian lives learning what we can't do instead of celebrating what we can do in Jesus. What a tragedy. What a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. It was Jesus who taught us how to break the rules. It was Jesus who touched lepers against the rules. No one was to touch a leper. It was Jesus who broke the Sabbath against the rules. The Pharisees had thousands of rules against working on the Sabbath. It was Jesus who forgave people their sins against the rules. Adulterers were to be stoned, not forgiven. The religious leaders accused Jesus of breaking the rules over and over again. They made it very clear that messiahs do not touch lepers, work on the Sabbath, forgive adulterers, and hang around with sinners. Jesus made it very clear. This messiah does touch lepers and forgive adulterers. This messiah is wild and serves his father with abandon. Jesus was the rule breaker because he is the rule maker. He alone decides what rules 
rules are true and what rules are nonsense. That is why we follow Jesus with abandon wherever he takes us. He lets us know which rules are for following and which rules are for breaking. Sounds alarming. Hazardous even. Exactly. Faith is about recklessly following Jesus where he goes. Notice I said wherever Jesus goes. Reckless abandon does not mean we make rules and he follows us. Following Christ with abandon does not give us permission to kill those who make rules who don't, we don't agree with. Remember, Jesus let the rule monitors use their rules to kill him. Genuine faith is hazardous to your health. Better hang on and fasten your seatbelt because following Jesus to the wherevers of life is much more precarious than most of us realize. Can you feel your pulse begin to quicken? For us to struggle, for us to wonder, for us to consider and pray to God, Lord, show us the way. Ways in which we have created rules, barriers, lines around ourselves that have said to us, here and no further, because God doesn't work over there. But we've created those barriers, so we don't even know. For us to consider those places and spaces in our lives. And then, even more importantly, to consider the places and spaces where God is calling us to and saying, you know what? Jump the fence. Let's go. I'm over here. And I want you with me. Jump the fence. Come, let's, let's live together in relationship. Come and worship me with this new thing, this new idea, this new behavior, this new action, this new life that I have given to you. It's a wonderful challenge for us to consider as we grow in our potential for worship. And when we, under, when we consider the text of Psalm 145, we understand that God was calling His people to give Him praise and worship always and with everything. There is no place where we can say God doesn't have potential in our lives for us to worship Him in a new way here. There's no place because as, you know, there's just, there's so, God is so much greater than what we can ever think of or imagine. And if He is so much greater than what we can ever think of or imagine, then for us to say, well, God can't work here, do you hear the arrogance on our part? Where can't God work in our lives to call us to new modes of worship, to new potentials of worship? You'll notice verse 3. Look what it says. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. All right? No one. Who here is no one? That's all of us. We're all no one, right? We can't fathom Him. So if we can't fathom Him... Can we ever speak for where we can and can't worship God? We can't fathom Him, right? It's not possible. It's not possible for us as followers of God to say, we can claim right here is where God wants us to worship and anywhere else, no. Because we can't fathom Him. We need to be very careful 
But then we also need to pursue him in wild abandon and say, Lord, what part of my everything are you calling me to worship you with? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. Most of your heart? No. All your heart. With all your soul. With all your mind. With all your strength. Give him everything. And the great challenge for Israel in the midst of all this is that they're doing this without something that we have that's awfully important. See, if you know Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Amen? You have the Holy Spirit. So if you got the Holy Spirit, it means as you and I learn more about the potential for worship in us, then we're not doing it just trying to figure it out on our own. It means that God's Spirit is with us, challenging us, encouraging us, comforting us, meeting us, poking us, prodding us to new ways and new understandings of worship, new understandings of who God is. It's the great gift that we've been given that allows us to pursue this, trusting that God has a plan and a purpose for our worship potential. Because of the work of Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're not on our own in growing in our worship potential. God is at work in us. How is he at work in us? All those things we talked about before. God's messing with them. God's challenging them. He's redeeming you and I from your sins so that we don't come into this place feeling that guilt. He is redeeming us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's taking that barrier away in our lives. He's calling us out of busyness. He's calling you and I to say no. And you know the places where he's doing that in your life. You know the places where God is saying, you know what? You are too full. You are you have too much. You're not making room for me. Give me space from your busyness so that you can worship me in spirit and in truth. He's breaking down our traditions. You know what? Praise be to God. You all, I hope you feel that. You all can raise your hands this morning in worship, all right? And we're actually a place where that happens. And I would even say, I would give you permission, if it's in the Bible as worship, then let's figure it out. If God's calling you to it, let's go. Let's talk about it. And even this morning as we worship, God is calling you to something, then you worship. We'll, We'll work it out. I may ask you a question or two. Hopefully nobody tackles you, but at the very least, we'll figure it out together, right? We're going to figure this out because we, we don't want to have our tradition limiting us from a potential place of growth as worshipers of God. And he is renewing our community. You know what's wonderful? I will tell you one of the greatest gifts ever given to the river. About 10 years ago, this church moved from two churches to one church is a little bit longer than that, two churches to one church, and in the midst of that made a decision to do what? He said they were going to go to purely contemporary worship. 13 years ago or so? About that, 14. You know what the greatest gift that God gave this church in the midst of that? He gave this church a whole bunch of gray-haired folks who said, okay, we're not sure about it, but we're going to support it, and we're going to love the church in the midst of that. That's one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave this church. You know why? 
Because it said then this community was going to be a place of freedom for us to learn new things, even if we were in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we were going to do it differently because we felt what? God calling us to something, that a place that we'd never gone before, and we were going to go there, trusting in his care in the midst of it, to see what he would do to bless us. Has God blessed us because of that? Absolutely. And God continues that work in us. And God's confronting our fears. He's confronting our fears. There are things that we would have never done 10, 15 years ago. And God continues to confront them and says, come with me. I'm here. Come over the fence. It's not that high. And I'll be with you. Come with me. Trust me. There's less fear on some of these ideas of worship and how God calls us to worship than there was. And God continues that work. Some of us need to do a lot more of it. Some of us have to, you know, really struggle. Lord, I got fear. I'm a little worried. What are you going to do here? But he meets us. And he moves in us. And he challenges us. And yeah, this is in our actions. This isn't the things that we do, and you're going to hear a lot about the postures of worship, what it means, what, what, how do we understand raising of hands, how do we understand what it means to lie prostrate. That's the word we're going to use, prostrate. Use the R. Pastor Will has to do that message. I'm trying to make sure that that's clear in his brain. Prostrate. Lying down before God. That's what Beth wants to say. Beth just wants to call lying down before God. Otherwise, other things get said. But... It's all about those postures. It's more so about the heart. Now, I, honestly, the truth is, if you in your heart of hearts are worshiping God, and he calls you to raise your hands, then raise your hands. But if you're in your heart of hearts worshiping God, and he doesn't call you to raise your hands, then don't raise your hands, because in your heart you're worshiping him. But if he does, then follow him. He calls you to bow down in worship before him. This morning, or on Monday, or on Wednesday, or whenever, then you bow down in obedience to God. It's important for us to listen to the Spirit's movement in our hearts and in our minds in the weeks and the months ahead. We can do some learning here. We can do some growing here. And I think that this also will be a blessing to our community as God breaks down some of those barriers. Now, If God calls you to do it, then do it. If God doesn't call you to do it, then don't. If he he calls you, maybe, and he's he's saying, well, maybe you could do this, maybe, then maybe you say, well, maybe, and you move towards it. But maybe you also say, you know what, I'm not quite ready, Lord. Meet me in this. Maybe I'll, 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 I'll take a step of faith in another spot, in another place. But if God calls you, be obedient. If he doesn't, then don't. If this is about a production, if this is about you getting noticed, if this is about other people saying, look how spiritual that person is, that's disobedience because God doesn't call us to worship him with our own selfish need to be recognized. So if God calls you, then do it. If God doesn't call you, then don't do it. Most importantly, well, not most importantly, but I'll say this too. If God calls someone else to do it, Reserve your judgment. If God calls someone else to do it, then you pray as you see God, God moving in the life of someone 
then you pray that that person's heart is open before God so that God can use them to grow his potential for worship in them. Don't sit there and say, wow, that person's really putting on a show. Reserve your judgment. As we walk through these experiments, as we walk through some of this learning and growing and being challenged and being changed, part of this is about us as a community, learning and growing in faith. We as leadership, we're going to work it through with you. We're going to hang on tightly to God's word. We're going to hang on tightly to the Holy Spirit's leading. We're going to pray in discernment that God shows us what he is doing so we can be active where he is. Not where any person's agenda or idea or desire goes, but where he is leading. But as he does that in us, understand that this is a movement of God's faith in his people, and we want the entire community to be a part of it. Oh, you may not be doing some of these other things. You may not be experimenting in the same way that some other people do with ways that God can move you to worship. But in the midst of all that, you can still be blessed. You can be encouraged, you can be challenged, and you can be changed. As a community, we're excited about this time. As leadership, we're excited about this time. But understand, our ultimate desire is to go where God calls because he is. We'll grow in our potential according to his movement. But all of our desire is simply to give him praise for who he is. Would you pray with me? We praise you, O God, for your work in us. Here in the river, you have been working in this community, in this church, this particular body for over 100 years. We're grateful for that. We also acknowledge before you that you are even more at work in your full and complete body of Christ, the church universal, the church everywhere. And we ask, Father, that we can continue to grow, be challenged, be changed by what you are doing in us, that we might feel that personally, that you prompt our heart to a new understanding of worship, that you might move us to explore your word more fully and what your calling is on our lives. And as, Lord, you call, then we will be obedient and move towards it, Lord, in faith that you will bless, that you will grow your potential worship in us because of who you are, because of the work of Jesus. I ask, Father, that you unify us through this time. Protect us from things that would... would, separate us from one another. The dissension that comes from disagreement, Father, instead unify us with the purpose of giving glory, praise, and worship to the living God who's given us life for eternity through Jesus Christ. We pray these things all in his name. Amen.